Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I don't know how to say hello in a cheerful yet normal voice. That's that's what a depressing figure I am. It's like when I do my little videos on the Rangers now, I'm trying to come up with how do I just say hello in a normal but pleasant voice? And it sounds creepy because I'm a depressing human being. Well, you're just you're not de- you're not depressed. You're just socially awkward, uh, and and uh, and physically awkward. And uh, let's see, well, how many other awkward that I'm Liter- here? Literally awkward. Literally awkward. Yeah. Literally, literally awkward. Yes, I'm all of them. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, you, you shouldn't be. Uh, you shouldn't feel bad about. It. It's like it's like somebody laughing. My brother said this to me one time, and I thought it was really good. We were, we kind of were poking fun of the way somebody laughed, and he said, "You know what? I don't like to make fun of the way people laugh. They're they're happy when they laugh, and we shouldn't we shouldn't make fun of that." And I said, "You know what? That's exactly right. People want to laugh a certain way. Let them laugh a certain way. If you want to say hello a certain way, say it, say it a, a certain way. It's a happy thing. People don't usually say hello and then stab you. So I, I think that that's just fine. And you know, I I will say this too. The uh, in the you know, people say, hey, how you doing? And yeah. um, I learned this a long time ago from my good friend, Al Leiter, who I talked with yesterday for a story, but had a conversation with Al uh, yesterday. And it reminded me that this was back in 90, 1996, I think. I'd walk into the Marlins clubhouse and he'd say, hey, how you doing? And I'd say, ah, I'm doing okay. And, and his response was, Oh, you're doing better than okay. You know, you got to tell people you're doing good. You, you let people know you're in a positive frame of mind. Um, so this is why whenever people say, hey, what's up? How you doing? I now say I'm groovy, um, but I say it in such a way that it's clear that I'm anything but groovy. Um, but they're taken aback by the fact that I'm still using the word groovy in 2022. So uh, it keeps them off balance. Uh, it works for me. Oh, well, that's good. Good for you. I told uh, I told my niece one time that uh, uh, I really tried to get her to start saying "boss." That something was "boss," you know, and and she and I said, you, "If you start saying this, everybody will start saying it. We'll start a whole new wave of it." She didn't buy it. Yeah, uh, I was really disappointed. I like "boss" a lot better than "groovy." And that, kids, has been salutation talk for today. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, people need to know these things. You know, you never know what you're getting here. We're kind of like the sports uh, version of Miss Manners. Well, uh, the- and it, I mean, people don't talk to people anymore, said the old man here who was very upset for some reason when I showed up at the movie theater on Sunday to see Top Gun. And there were people there were I noticed two things in the very long concession line. There were people, this is not one of those, we went to the North Park Theater, right? Just a regular, typical theater, okay? And there were a lot of people who brought their blankets with them to the theater, okay? (laughs) Now, I know it's cold in a picnic. (laughs) I know it's cold in theaters, and I know there are some of these theaters that have the dine-in movies where they have blankets on the seats and everything, but I'm looking around, and I'm like, why does everybody have their blankies? And then I look at the front of the concession stand, and I kid you not, Kevin, a woman is standing there getting a large tub of popcorn wearing a papoose, okay? (laughs) She's wearing a papoose, and there is a little poodle in the papoose. She is taking her dog to the movie. It didn't have, like, a help dog or anything like that label on it. 
in a papoose. And I'm like, I just looked at Gina and I said, what has become of society? God, I'm an old man. People are just comfortable, you know? They're comfortable. They're going to show up in their pajamas next thing you know at the theater. They might as well. Half of them are falling asleep during the movie. I know. I felt very out of place in my bowler and my bow tie. Um, (laughs) But we had a great time, boy. I tell you what, Top Gun was a seminal movie of my early 20s, and uh, the remake was, was just fine by me. I haven't seen it yet. You know what? I have to tell you, I hated the first one. So oh, I, 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 I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm willing to go see it. It's all. You it's know, all I was one of them that came out of the movie chanting USA, USA. Yeah, right. You probably were. All right. Let's really talk about sports here, which is why we're we're paid to do this. Actually, we're not paid to do this. We do this for free. But what the heck? Um, this is our idea of fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk about those Rangers, Evan. Uh, Wait, we need to just before we get in that, we need to say that David Moore is still on his uh, two week round the world uh, cruise. Yeah, yeah. Where are they now? Are they in Botswana now? Where are uh, they? I, I don't know. All I know is apparently they they I think they they got a a, a great rate on like a cruise on a uh, um a uh, what do you call it a Alaskan uh, cruise. A uh, uh, a uh, apprehended Russian yacht, mogul yacht. I think that's the deal. Confiscated. Confiscated. There you go. Me and words. We don't get along. Anyway, I think David's still in Alaska. I hope he's having a great time with the bald eagles and the polar bears and the glaciers and whatever. I just hope it's not something like a scene from like the African Queen. You know, Humphrey Bogart, Catherine Hepburn, David and Cheryl, you know. Going up the river. I, I just hope like he that. brings me back salmon. That's all. Yeah, there we go. All so right, anyway, yeah, Dave will be time. back next week. Yeah, Dave will be back next week. Uh, we're gonna and, and we may have Callie Kaplan on next week to talk about the, the NBA draft, which will be next week as well. So we will uh, be working on those things. For now, we're going to talk about the Rangers and the fact that they've won three games in a row, which is a wow, it's a whopping streak for the Rangers at this point. Although they had, they did really good at the end of May. Got themselves back to 500, and then they just completely belly flopped when they hit June uh, and was uh, disappointing. But now they have played well. I think they really kind of uh, did some good things in Chicago. They 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 still struggle, Evan, at things that are just silly. Uh, guys getting picked off second base. Guys get caught in rundown. Guys running into each other in the outfield. I mean, there, there are still things going on with this team uh, that keep it uh, or make it a struggle to win games. But I will give them this: they are they are figuring out ways to get by. Well, they uh, yeah. I, I from the time they got to five hundred at twenty four and twenty four, and, and listen, I, I if I haven't made this clear enough in in stuff that I've written or, or said, I, I I think that they need to stop thinking of five hundred as as a threshold. I, I think that that's been. Um, perhaps some kind of an issue over the last couple of years. They've gotten a 500, and for some reason they fall apart at that point. Maybe it's because they've worked so hard to get there. I, I, I don't know. Um, but the first week of June was uh, uh, was discouraging um, from this point of view. Uh, there were four base running mistakes. For a team that really prides itself on creating havoc on the bases, there were four really bad base running mistakes. Um, there was that uh, that fumbled play that Marcus Simeon had in in Cleveland, the first part of the doubleheader. Though he, he, that game should still be remembered for really his offensive awakening. Um, but the the uh, 
the four base running plays last week, Simeon getting caught off first base in Chicago, uh, Ezekiel Duran getting caught off third base in in, in Chicago, which actually um, I, I think the manager talked about yesterday. I asked him about this a little bit and, and had some other stuff I needed to get to instead. Um, was really the runner that broke from first that kind of got Duran held up a little bit. And and it, it wasn't so much on Duran as it was the runner at first. I, and I'm, I'm forgetting who that was at that point in time. Um, you had Garcia getting picked off, you know, on the very first play after that long rain delay in Cleveland. Then you had Brad Miller getting ha- caught, hung up between second and third, uh, also in Chicago. It was just four disturbing base running plays, just egregious mistakes. Um, it, 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 I think it bothered Chris Woodward for sure. Uh, and it is just the kind of things that it reminds you that this team is better than it was last year, and it's in games pretty much every night. But it cannot afford to make mistakes because when it does, you know that's the that's the margin of of, of difference in so many games for them. <clears throat> well, that, that's exactly right. Uh, they need to play well. There's no question about it. Like you look at the Astros, they they came back and won that game uh, on uh, Monday night, and uh, and did well to do that. They're not as good as the Astros. I, I'm not. Their lineup is not as good as the White Sox lineup. Uh, their pitchers are not as good as Boston's pitchers. You know, I, I think we we see we certainly see weaknesses here and things that they're still not good at. Um, we still have not seen. Uh, now we're we're getting a, a breakout now of Marcus Simeon. We're start, he's starting to hit like we expected that he would when they when the Rangers signed him. We still haven't seen uh, nearly enough from Corey Seager uh, to approach what the kind of player he has been. Um, we're probably getting <clears throat> more out of Cole Calhoun. We're seeing more out of him than we figured. Uh, he was going to be a platoon player. He's been better than that. Um, not a lot better. Um, you know, uh, Adolis has been uh, uh, a, a little bit – I think this is basically who Adolis is. Like last year, right, the first half, he looks like a superstar. He looks like Roberto Clemente uh, the second half. He really fell off uh, the cliff. Now I think he's playing kind of right in between those two things, and I think this is who he is. And I think this, this is, is who they can yeah, probably. Yeah, this is who of. he is. He's built for some big moments and some dramatic moments, and certainly because he's an emotional player, you know, he makes those big moments um, when he does accomplish something bigger, bigger than life. You know, he adds a flair to it that really kind of sticks with you. Um, but he's not he he's not capable of carrying a team for, let's say, a 10-day stretch or for a two-week stretch, the kind of thing that gives you an extended hot streak. You know, they, they've had some three-game win streaks, some five-game win streaks. They haven't had anything where they've rolled off, you know, 10 of 12 or anything like that. And that is simply because the two guys who are capable of carrying this offense, as you said, have not to this point in time gotten, gotten hot at the same time. Uh, the number of times that they they had back to back hits last night, um, and that kind of led to the big a, a big rally, but it's been rare and it's been infrequent, uh, and it's you know I think going into today, there's again like a one point difference between Simeon and Seager in batting average, but they're both below two thirty still, uh, and and that's got to change. The um, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought right there. <laughs> well, that's quite all right. But let me ask you this: uh, what because of what happened uh, Saturday after your uh, nice story about uh, uh, Martin Perez, and then Martin went out Saturday and looked just like he used to. 
Uh, he got rattled by a rookie umpire who was not giving him the calls that he needed to get. And he, he let that bother him too much. Uh, he was also facing a lineup that feasts on uh, uh, change-ups, and that's Martin's best pitch. Uh, and so that hurt him a little bit. Are you concerned uh, that Martin uh, might regress because of that start? Uh, he's going to regress for sure from where he was. I, I, I think, you know, I'm going to look at the Martin Perez situation from a glass half full kind of perspective. He still got them through five innings, um, and they were – they were in a position where they were able to come back. And the fact that they didn't have to overwork the bullpen and, you know, get an extra three innings out of the bullpen uh, in that situation, I think put them in better position to actually win those last two games. You know, they were a little bit fresher down the stretch. So, yeah, he gave up 12 hits. He wasn't very good. If that's your – again, if that's your stinker for a month period of time or two months period of time – you can get by with that. And I think that goes to the same thing. You kind of you look at perspective for a minute, right, Kevin? And we've talked about how this team hasn't played great for any stretch of time. We talk about um, uh, what has gone wrong. But if I told you that we're sitting here on June 15th, 60 games into the season, and this team had, was in second place in the American League West, that it had a positive run differential – and that offensively it had scored more runs than the Houston Astros, would you take that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's where they are right now. So um, it's certainly not about where you're at at 60 games, but in this in this team's case, it's, you know, it's about making incremental pro- progress. And I think every time you come back and say, hey, they haven't played particularly well, you also have to say they are capable of, of doing better and they are capable of, of actually having a legitimate hot streak. So let's talk about that. If they're capable of getting better, uh, at what point does John Daniels say, you know what, uh, I'm a little short on in, uh, starting pitchers here. I need to go out and get us a pitcher here and, and make us competitive for that last wild card spot. I don't think you look at it from the perspective of making you competitive for that last wild card spot. I think you look at it as what can make us better in the long term um, with the idea that the long term means winning – in the foreseeable future. And so to me that the, that boils down to, can you go out and get a controllable player? You've got some real inventory now in the minor league system. Uh, you've got the ability to make a deal, not, not dissimilar to when you went out and got Cole Hamels, where the idea was, even if you didn't contend in 2015, you'd have him for a couple more years. You know, if the A's make Frankie Montas available, which I expect they will, or somebody like that, who is controllable for this year and and maybe two more years, that makes some sense for the Rangers. I don't think that I look at them from a perspective and say they need to go, certainly you're not going to go all in, but I don't look at it and say they need to go out and get rental pieces to try and make a, a run for the last wild card spot. There's a difference between being in the mix for that last wild card spot and being what we would call um, viable for a playoff run. Well, nobody, uh, I, listen, nobody uh, does rental pieces anymore unless you're the Yankees. I mean, everybody, when they make a trade at the deadline Yankees now. Yankees don't even say, need rental pieces this year. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, is that you, yeah, you're, you're trying to get guys who you can add and will be available. These are guys who are available to you now because a team is out of it 
and and because it's going to dump somebody now. And, and sometimes those cost you more than they would in the offseason. But sometimes, uh, you know, because you are one of the teams that is in the playoff run, you've cut down the, the number of uh, potential buyers here. So uh, it, that, that makes it a good time to do that. I, I would contend that, uh, uh, that, that the Rangers kind of owe something to this fan base. Uh, they, they have been sitting around here waiting for something to happen. Not much has happened. And, I, and certainly, I, I wouldn't even go as far as the Cole Hamels deal, right? I mean, even though they got Cole on a, on a multi a year deal and he's, he's like years left on that that cost them a lot of prospects they were very fortunate that really none of those guys panned out i mean they a couple of them had a, a year or two but i, don't, but I mean much. i think i think lewis brinson has the lowest war in major league baseball of any player uh since that trade um nick williams flamed out never never really became anything the one player is jorge alfaro who Philadelphia dealt to Miami and Miami, you know, let him go to San Diego. So um, it's taken a long time for Jorge Alfaro to actually become something of a contributor. Um, that might have been a, pro- a, a, pro- a, a process of actually the Rangers knowing what they had in the system um, when, they, when they traded him for Cole, you know, uh, taking advantage of some guys who might have had higher value to the outside world than they did inside. I, I don't know if that same formula would exist six years later, seven years later. Probably not. <clears throat> but the point is, is that whether they, they, you know, my belief is that more often than not, that's what you get is what happened in the uh, Cole Hamels deal. Guys just don't pan out. Uh, I will say, if, you, if we look at the flip side of that, uh, th- there have been other trades for people that work out great, obviously. And I, and I think that the Joey Gallo trade, for example, looking at it right now, is working out pretty great. I got to tell you, I like Ezekiel Duran a lot. Uh, he really, uh, he's not a long-term third baseman. Um, he's probably, he probably is a middle infielder, and that's going to create a little bit of an issue at some point about where they're going to play him. But, but at this, but right now, you can't send him down. I mean, no. you, you got to leave him out there. He he is responding in almost every situation he's been put in. He's responded. Uh, he's a guy who hits to all fields. He's got power. Uh, he's got speed. Uh, this guy's a player. Yeah, he he really is, and I think Josh Smith is too. And only you you only had a week of Josh Smith before he got hurt, but I, I think they're both. I think they're both players. I think the conversation I had with some people last week was: Are they franchise players? And I don't know if they're if they're franchise players, um, but they are. I would consider them to be very viable everyday players. And I would I would almost submit to you, Kevin, that as exciting as anything that the Rangers could do on the trade market this year, um, it may be if they play well with a group that has Sam Huff in the lineup at catcher on a semi-regular basis, uh, Ezekiel Duran at third base on a regular basis, Leody Tavares in center field, on a regular basis. And who knows before the end of the season, maybe you have Josh Smith playing left field. That's an exciting young group to pair with Simeon and Seager. So I think there's a possibility of this team playing better with some young players. And I think that's fairly, that could be fairly exciting, but it gets back to this idea that there's still, I think we all still feel like there's some holes in the pitching staff 
that would not allow this team to be a viable playoff contender as is. I think it's a contender. I don't, it's not, it's not a championship contender by any means. Uh, So I I think that this is a, I I think what we're seeing across baseball is that there's been a lot of disappointing teams uh, in the league uh, and have not played up to the potential that they, that they could and should. Uh, Maybe they put that all together in the second half and they start to pull away from the Rangers. I I just think that, that it shouldn't be dismissed out of hand that, you don't want to do anything here to wreck this. I certainly would not want to trade any of the guys we just mentioned, right? Uh, right. Uh, those, these are guys who all have some potential. But what Rangers fans are, don't want to see is just more guys playing who can't play. I mean, we saw Leone Tavares play, right, over the last couple of years. Not, not very good. You know, he had his moments, but it just wasn't very good. If guys are, If these young guys are playing and they're actually producing – and they're not when I say producing, they don't have to be hitting 300. They can be hitting 240, 250, but if they're getting on base, if they're if they're not doing foolish things, uh, if they're playing well or playing hard, uh, contributing to wins, well then that's then that's something. Uh, and then that's something that they should pursue. And I think that fans would love to see that. I, th- I think that that's next to competing for the playoffs, getting into the playoffs, actually going somewhere in the playoffs, what fans want to see is young guys with potential. And I, and I do think these guys have some potential. I, I certainly do think that Duran does. Now you could, you know, make last year when Leo, when uh, Adonis was playing so well, you could see, oh, all right, he's got some holes in his swing here. There's some things here that could keep him from being really good. And certainly we saw that in the second half. Uh, and uh, Adonis is still a very valuable piece because of how good he is defensively. Um, and he, and because of the things he can contribute, if he's hitting fifth, sixth, or seventh in the lineup, uh, I I got to tell you, so far it's been a very small sample size. I don't see the holes in Ezekiel Duran's swing. Now maybe at some point they make adjustments and that they're going to do things to him to keep him. But this is a guy who led the minor leagues in doubles this year, right? All yeah. the minor leagues in doubles. That is such a, a key factor uh, in judging hitters, in my mind. Does, how many doubles does this guy hit? Uh, you, you look across history as as hitters developed, they all the greatest hitters were always guys who hit a lot of doubles first, even before they hit home runs. Uh, and he does that. He he hits all uh, across the field. The, the, how many guys do the Rangers have who do that? There's not another guy in that lineup really who consistently sprays the ball across the field and and with with power. I agreed. I mean, I. He's been very, very impressive, and uh, I think he's going to force the Rangers into making a difficult decision if Josh Smith is ready in in a week or two. Um, they didn't call him up with the idea that it would be a long term call up, but Duran is 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 gotten here and he's seized every opportunity given to him so far. Again, it's been a, a ten day sample. We'll we'll see as it continues to go on, but it's been it's been a phenomenal start for him. The only issue at all has been really um, the fact that he's not he's not played many games at third base. I don't know that he profiles long term as a third baseman. But look, if he's an if if he if he profiles as an eight fifty OPS guy, he plays wherever the Rangers need him to play. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You you put him in the lineup somewhere. There's no question about that. All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers segment now. A lot of the good things to talk about with the Rangers these days, and that's fun. Uh, a lot better than it's been for, for a little while. 
Um, now we're going to have uh, what our uh, listeners really love is the potpourri segment. This is something that people are, are dying to have. Potpourri. I go out in the world, and I've said this many times already. I'm hearing chants, potpourri. Pope. It's kind of like that fire Tony thing in Chicago. Uh, did you hear that when you were watching the game, Evan? I know you weren't you weren't in Chicago. Uh, I um, I was I did not hear that because I wasn't actually tuned into the to the game on Saturday afternoon at that point in time. But I did read and hear about it. So yeah, um, I wondered. I'm going to ask you this, and this is an interesting question for me. Uh, this, we're we're going to count this as part of the potpourri segment. It's about broadcasting. Why wouldn't Dave Raymond and the and the Rangers broadcast crew bring that up? I don't know. Good question. Um, I, uh, I I I I think that you know the the rights holders are all about good news, and yeah. I, I, I I don't know any other way to say it. And I I just don't think that they're going to take they're going to very often take shots at the opposing team or what the. Uh, well, it's what just a it's a matter of reporting. You're not you're Correct. not taking shots. You're just saying, "Hey, well, the fans here." What, how often do you hear that? When is the last time you heard people chanting, "Fire the manager"? I would also the the other thing is I would also just want to be very very conscious of the fact that there have been occasions in the not too distant past in which fans have been chanting something and the broadcaster oh, right. related Got it, it wrong. in the wrong manner. So I'd want to be accurate with that and um, better to just say that the fans seem to be a little bit unhappy here (laughs) rather than misinterpreting what the fans at a NASCAR race might be saying. Yeah, that's that's certainly a possibility. You're right about that. Okay, good point. All right, uh, in in our potpourri segment today, besides broadcasting, uh, I I want us to talk a little bit about uh, the U.S. Open coming up this week, uh, and we have Big D's Big Three. That's what I'm calling them. Big D's Big Three: uh, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, and Will Zalatoris. All three of them among the favorites at the U.S. Open this week. Uh, so that that's a fun thing here that Dallas fans, Dallas golf fans, instead of just hanging all their hopes on Jordan Spieth. Now they've got not one, not two, but three guys that they can legitimately pull for in the U.S. Open. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I think going back to a conversation we had a couple of weeks ago, I don't think this is ever going to take a national stage the way the, the uh, Hogan-Nelson rivalry took place or the way, you know, a palmer uh, Nicholas rivalry existed at one point in time or even maybe – Tiger Phil, but for for Dallas sports fans, it is really cool to be invested in in three guys, um, all with excellent shots at winning majors, and three guys uh, on the tour. I don't know if I'd call it it's a rivalry between those three guys, but I don't think Dallas sports fans are going to pick. Oh, I'm I'm a Scotty Scheffler guy. I hate I hate Jordan Spieth. You know, I, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of that kind of emotion, but I do think it is a cool story for. For Dallas, uh, for Dallas golf fans to to really follow. Well, that's what's cool about it is that all three of these guys are friends. You know, they they played against each other. More uh, Zalatoris and Scheffler are closer, I think, than they are to Jordan. Jordan's a little older, right. and and he and Jordan was great from a very young age. Uh, and and as as those two other two guys said, he would 
always make some shot to beat you no matter what you did uh, back in those days. It's not not the case so much anymore. Uh, they're all pretty much on even footing, and Scotty's got the leg up on the other two, as a matter of fact, the number one golfer in the world. So it's a, it's a fun thing uh, to watch this uh, develop, and we'll see what happens with it. Uh, it will also be fun this week to watch how the the guys on the uh, the LIV golf tour, um, and I think you want to call it something else. Do you want to call it live? What do you want? Live, 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 <laughs> live, live, love. Uh, Fifty-four. I, 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 I mean, to me, that's kind of kind of the issue. Is I look at the logo and I just wonder, like, what am I supposed to call it? Um, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, I'll tell you what you can call it. It's the Blood Money Tour. How about that? Uh, we can call it that. These well, are the you guys. certainly cut to the chase there. I did. Uh, the, the, of course, they're being paid. They had their first tournament last week outside London. Uh, Charles Schwartzel, former Masters winner, won that one. It really wasn't much of a shock that one of those guys is going to win. There's about, oh, six guys good enough to win that tournament. Everybody else was going to be floundering around and just picking up their paycheck when it was all over. And that was the deal. Of course, everybody got paid. Uh, you, you know, there's no such thing as missing the cut and not getting any money. Everybody got paid. They got paid a lot. Uh, Charles Schwartzel won more, $4.5 million than he had in like the last three years on the, t- on the tour. Um, of course, this money is coming from the Saudi-backed uh, – it's a Saudi-backed tournament coming from the Saudi government – um, and, uh, and of course we know about the human rights issues involved there. Uh, there have been, uh, a couple of, de- of defections since that tournament. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, uh, has said he'll play. And so will Patrick Reed, both two very polarizing players, uh, to begin with on the tour, certainly Patrick Reed, not, not Bryson as much, but there is, there have been issues involved there. Uh, so it's not really a surprise, I would think, that those two guys would go. Um, we'll see who else follows. I, I don't think it becomes a viable alternative to the uh, PGA Tour until they get a few more guys who are top 10, top 20 players uh, to make it uh, you know, something that's a little more competitive, frankly. Uh, I mean, who wants to – you know, the public doesn't care how much money you're making. You know, no one cares that much money. How good are you? That's what they want to know. Well, and I mean, listen, there's, it, it, from my perspective in golf, there's four tournaments that matter, and those are the majors, and that's what people tune into. You don't um, care about the Nelson or the Colonial? I, I mean, I think they're nice local stories, but I don't think that you've got the whole country turning tuning into the Nelson Really, I don't know that you've got the whole country tuning into the TPC. I, I, I just think it's the it's the four majors. And if you really, for me, almost if you boil it down, you know, you could almost take the PGA out of it. I, I think the Masters, the British Open, and the U.S. Open are the three tournaments that, that really capture everybody's imagination. And as long as Tiger Woods is swinging a golf club, you know, where he is is where the fan interest is going to be. Um Tiger, Tiger is what captures people's imagination, and he's turned down the live, 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 love tour, um, and apparently a reportedly five hundred million dollars to, to to join uh, to stay on the PGA tour. And uh, I, I just don't know what the attraction is going to be for this. T- I don't even know if you'd call it a tour as much as you'd call it a a, a uh, 
entertainment, sports entertainment. Um, Jay Monahan, uh, the PGA Tour commissioner, calls it a series of exhibitions. Yeah, uh, That's I, how, it's, how he's diminuing it. And listen, I, 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 I just want to say the one thing that I want to say about all that is that you know Schwartzel got up there on the day uh, after winning the tournament and was asked the same question that just about everybody who has come in the press room has asked, you know, are you concerned about where the money's coming from? Clearly nobody is concerned about where the money's coming from, where they wouldn't have taken the money. Um, but Schwartzel said very honestly, you know, I'm, he kind of paused for a second and he said, I've never really ever thought about where any of the money is coming from. And you can draw comparisons between some of the corporations that uh, are sponsors of PGA tournaments and, and things like that, that who don't do great things, but it's a different venture when it's, you know, a company or a private enterprise doing a business with a, another private enterprise. This is basically the Saudi government paying these players outright, and they are becoming ambassadors for the Saudi regime to, sports wash themselves yeah that's a new term yeah that was that was a new one for me sports washing meaning that uh we we're going to use this uh the golf tournaments here to uh to whitewash our our records and the things that we've done make us more palatable uh i had uh, after well, writing, and I, you know it kind of came to the forefront during the olympics when the chinese used um uh uyghurs to to uh, a uyghur uh, skier to light the Olympic torch, right? That we, oh, we're, we're showing you how, how there's no problem here. There's, there's nothing here. And this is the same thing that we're seeing more and more people do. Yeah. I, when I wrote about this, uh, uh, last week or whenever that was, uh, I did have, uh, I got a feedback from one reader who, uh, talked about the fact that, well, you don't write anything about the NBA and it's, uh, the money it's getting from China and, and LeBron James and this and that. And as I, as I pointed out to, to him, uh, the difference is, is that, of course, in the NBA case, that has become a right wing talking point about how um, uh, is a it's a backlash against the talk of racism in this country. Uh, and they have used that to say that, well, why aren't they making why aren't they complaining about these things? Why aren't they standing up for the uh, inhumanity and the human rights issues in China, but yet they're taking that money. It's a little different when the owners of the NBA are investing in things in China, just like uh, businesses, all everybody invests in countries across the world, right? There's you, If you ran the, the tree on every major corporation in America, they've got uh, they got investments everywhere. But, but LeBron James is not getting paid by the government of China. Uh, I think that's the bottom line here. And I, I, I think it, you know, Across the spectrum, whether you're talking about a political argument or about a sports and in, in political and politics argument, the the whole whataboutism of everything just in, it, it infuriates me and maddens me to this point. Stay on point here. This is it doesn't matter what the NBA is doing. That's that that they're not mutually ex- they they are mutually exclusive. If the NBA has an issue, you address the NBA se- separately. This right here. Right now, this is an issue, and what are these golfers' stances on it? Has nothing to do with that. Has nothing to do with the NBA. That's a separate issue. 
I wonder what the the long term impact will this this will be. I mean, there were people. I read a story of people who were at that tournament uh, outside London, and and these people were saying, "Oh, they we love it. This is it's loud, a lot of music, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and we're not buying into the controversy." It's like, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people who would go to those types of things and pay to go to those kind of things that yeah, they don't care uh, about the controversy. They're, you're going to find that everywhere. I wonder, though, you know, golfers make a lot of their money off of endorsements and off of uh, th- things they get from sponsors. Uh, what is going to be the backlash? We, we saw that Phil Mickelson lost sponsors because of this. So it's probably he's probably making that up. And, and the guarantee he got from the Saudis. And uh, so we'll we'll see what else he gets from that. But I would think that long term, these are things you don't want to lose, right? There's going to be a time when you can't play golf anymore and you're still hoping to make money. Arnold Palmer made most of the money that Arnold Palmer made in his career was long after he quit playing. Uh, and I, I would think that, uh, okay, you can say, if I'm getting $125 million up front, then – that's just fine. I don't care about the, the rest of my life after that. Of course, you could also ask the question, did Dustin Johnson really get $125 million up front, or are they going to pay him that over the course of four or five years, or they're saying they're going to pay him that over the course of that time? And will the Saudis actually still want to do this? Will they want to do this next year or the year after that? I mean, how, how long are they going to pay for this? This would be my question. Uh, right. I, I'm not saying that the money's going to run out. I think that at some point the interest runs out. It's just like with Vince McMahon and the and the XFL, when he took it over, everybody said, oh, Vince is worth billions of dollars. There's not going to be a money issue here. Well, they didn't even make it through the first season. Right. You know, Vince McMahon said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to throw this money down a hole anymore. This is no good. So these are things that that these golfers have to ask. And and the second part of this issue for me with, with golfers is that uh, golf and baseball are the two sports that care more about history and records than any other sports, right? Everybody knows golf records. Everybody knows baseball records. They don't know them in basketball. They don't know them in football. Nobody keeps up with those kind of records, but they do in these two sports. These are sports that revere those types of things. And when you're throwing that all away, uh, just because you want to make, it's not like you, I hate to say, oh, these guys need to help their families. They've already helped their families. These guys that we're talking about have made a lot of money. We're not talking about guys coming right out of college and they're not going to make it on the tour, so therefore they went over here. I don't think that's good either, but at least that's understandable. You know, if you don't think you can make it on the tour, I think you can go over here and make some money. Okay, all right. Not good, but not as bad as guys who've already made $50, $60 million, $70 million, whatever it is on the tour, and then they decide, I need even more money than this. You know, well, what are you throwing away here? You're throwing away, you're, you're taking a chance of throwing away your spot in the history of your game uh, and soiling that image. And for what? And I just think that when you are willing to do that, uh, I think it says a lot about you. And I mean, let's let's be let's be clear here that I don't want to say I'm a fan of any league because every professional sports league is racked with greed. I mean, that's uh, no um, question. No question. So it's the, not like the PGA I'm, Tour, especially. Yeah, I, it, it's not like I'm saying, "Oh, what a great outfit the PGA Tour is." I just feel like, to your point, I think these guys, I think these golfers, may want an alternative to the PGA Tour, but this one in particular is basically, like you said, it, it comes down to blood money, and you are giving up your reputation and your place in history. Your place in history 
to get money that really, I don't know that any member of your family will ever, ever see or generate <laughs> or, or, or use. I don't know how, I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, the, the, the amount of money that, that you are going to see here um, and, and, and get, I don't know how it's going to markedly change your life or, or your lifestyle unless you need a bigger jet with a, with a bigger uh, TV system. And I, I don't, I don't quite get it. Yeah. It kind of goes back to, I remember once writing a story about Greg Norman and, and this was back in the day, of course, when he was uh, struggling to, to, to win some of these tournaments when he blew the masters. And, uh, and I remember writing at that time, uh, about him, he had shown up to a tournament that he was playing in, in a helicopter. And I wrote that it's kind of hard. I think for someone, uh, to think I have to win this tournament when they're going home in a helicopter, you know? Uh, so I think that's what we're, we're seeing with, the uh, in golf now. And there's a lot of greed. Tim Kalashaw wrote a very, uh, fine column the other day about that, just in greed in general in sports and, and listen, you know, I suppose if I had the opportunity to make a lot of money, maybe I would have done that. I also know that there were opportunities for me to make a lot of money doing a lot of other things. And I chose not to do them uh, because of uh, the lifestyle I wanted to maintain. So, And I think, I, I think the question that all sports owners um, need to consider is you're going to make a lot of money regardless of, of what you do with your business. The question is, do you want to make a lot of money and cultivate a relationship with your fan base, or do you want to make a lot of money and potentially long-term erode that? That's the question for me. I feel like Major League Baseball, in some regards, has sold themselves out on that front to try and make as much money in this generation for this generation of owners as it possibly can without a whole lot of concern for what will come next. But I would bet you that 40 years ago, uh, Murray Chass was saying the same thing. And 40 years before that, uh, there were other sports writers saying the same thing about uh, uh, at that point in time. But I do think it, it, you just do get to a point where the greed overtakes the popularity of the sport. And that would there's going to come a tipping point somewhere. It's not a question of how much money you're making. It's a question of who's paying you. That's That's the whole issue in this one. Uh, I, I don't begrudge anybody the money they make. Uh, if you can get it, good for you. Um, but but th if this is who you're getting it from, well, then that's, some other, that's another matter entirely. All right, that's going to do it. We, we are hoping to talk about Dalton Schultz, too. Uh, because he's in he, the he, building. He's in the building at the Star. He's out there. It's good to know Dalton Schultz has showed up. So the Cowboys' Super Bowl hopes are, are back up again. Dalton Schultz back out there. Uh, uh, yeah, I believe, the, to quote Michael Gilkin, uh, one of our fine cowboy writers, uh, there has been some dialogue over his unhappiness about his contract situation. We've talked about the contract situation before. I think we're both kind of on the same page there that it's hard to quantify what makes a franchise caliber tight end or if such an animal exists. And that's what the Cowboys and Dalton Schultz have to work out at this point. Yeah, he'll be playing for the Cowboys this year unless he decides just to blow off that $10.9 which I don't think he's going to do. Uh, the question is, will he be a, a Cowboy long term? So uh, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, make sure to tune in next week. We're going to have more talk. We're going to talk about the draft, if the Mavericks still have that first round draft. Actually, they have to go into that actual draft before they can trade 
their first round pick, the 26th pick. Uh, it's very technical stuff. And, and maybe we'll have Callie Kaplan on to talk about that, uh, explain what's going on and what the thinking is with Nico Harrison and the rest of the Mavericks. Uh, we'll talk more about the Cowboys. And maybe we'll talk about the fact that these Rangers are doing well, and we'll see if if uh, if anybody kind of uh, got in a wrestling match out at the U.S. Open, uh, any of those uh, the PGA Tour guys at the defectors. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? That would be great. That'd I'd be love great. to see those guys get in a slap fight. That would be great. That'd be super. All right. For, so for everybody in here to everybody out here, thanks, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.